0: We're of Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Psalm 30 is an interesting psalm. It is written by King David, and it was written during the time that they were dedicating the temple, uh, the temple that they were building in Jerusalem in their home, in the promised land, in the place that God had brought them out of, if we remember their history, out of slavery in Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, through all kinds of trials, all kinds of losses, all kinds of death, all kinds of mourning, all kinds of rebellion, and yet God, with all kinds of love and all kinds of forgiveness and mercy and pursuing, brought them into a home. He gave them a place. And they were building this temple, a place where they could honor and worship and praise Yahweh, their God. And they, so King David, he, he pens this, he writes this psalm as a dedication to it. But if we read the psalm, if we look closely at the words, it sounds like a very personal thing, doesn't it? He, he's using personal pronouns He's saying, you have rescued me from the pit. You have turned my mourning into dancing, right? It's almost as if David were just writing this about himself, what he has seen God do personally in his life, not so much what he's done for all of Israel. And yet I think what we're seeing is all of that is connected. It's all really kind of one and the same. A lot of times we uh, get in our culture, the, the story of the gospel is a very individual, personal, one-on-one, me and Jesus type of story, right? My relationship with Jesus. And, and we get this individualized story of the gospel, which is you were a sinner, but Jesus died for you. And if you would say this prayer even, right? And sometimes we go a little further with that. If, if you would follow him and trust in him, then you'll be saved. And we get this very localized, individual story right here. I'm just going to put an I because I'm going to write out individual in that little circle. And that's the story of the gospel. Now other times, uh, in, in different camps of the church, you'll get a much different story, right? You'll get kind of more of this cosmic story over here. It's a story that says, hey, God created the whole world, and he cares for it all, and he loves it all, deeply and personally even. And he is on a mission to restore all of it. And Jesus, yes, he came, and he lived, and he died, he gave his life, but that wasn't just for you personally. It was, it was for the glory of the Father, and it was for the sake of all the cosmos. Jesus restoring all the universe to God. And man, you are lucky if you get to be a small part of that, right? And so that story is also true, but it is minimalizing the connection that we have, the relationship we are invited to with Jesus. Uh, And then there's this kind of in-between story here, this communal story. Often people come to Jesus through this, and it's that this this is how Israel functioned, that God has rescued this group of people right? He has, he called this man Abram and he decided to make a family out of him and then make a nation out of that family. And that this family, these people are God's people and they can enjoy the favors of God forever. And yet what Israel failed to realize is God called them to be a kingdom of priests, right? That he blessed them to be a blessing to others, that all the nations would be invited in. And that's a psalm we're going to see on this last week of July as well. So we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, But here's the reality is all of this right here is the gospel. The individual, the communal, and the cosmic. And sometimes people come to it through this entry point, right? But they need to be moved from that cosmic view And to seeing now they're part of a community too, a very real tangible community that is using their hands and feet to be the hands and feet of Jesus to love their neighborhood for the sake of God's glory. And then they need to be driven down even deeper into that reality that God also, he also, he formed you. He knitted you in your mother's womb. You are made in the image of God. Jesus loves you. He died for you as an individual, too. He does desire a personal relationship with you. Right? And other, other times, people, they enter the story through this one. They just hear that individual, but they need to be driven out. They need to start fixing their gaze more outward, too. And they need to see, oh, I'm part of a community. What I do affects other people, and what they do affects me. And how can I say that I love Jesus if I'm disconnected from his body? And we, brothers and sisters, are called the body of Christ, we need to be driven into community. And then we need to see that there's a bigger picture going on here too. We need to be driven to care for all of the world just as Jesus does because it's his, because he's on a mission to restore all things. And so I think what this Psalm does is it reminds us as David is writing about something God was doing on a much bigger scale, for the community of Israel, and even if they didn't know it, for the whole world, as they were called to be a blessing to the nations, David writes it from a very personal aspect. There's something we can, we can take from that, we can glean from that, we can learn from that. But then there's a structure to it, too. There's a format that he takes. There's a flow to the narrative of this psalm, the story, if you will. And it moves from prosperity to the pit. praise. If if you remember that verse that was just read, I thought, I said to myself, I will not be shaken. Think about the pride and the arrogance with that statement, right? Like no one's going to come against me. No one's going to destroy this nation. These are God's people. He's got us. That was what David wrote. I thought I could not be shaken. And yet Israel saw time in time again, that they could be. They could be. In fact, they were taken from this place of prosperity, Abraham's family growing strong, and brought into slavery in Egypt, right? David himself, he's told, you're going to be king, and he's anointed with oil. You're going to be the king over all of Israel, God's chosen holy people, and then he has to go on the run because King Saul wants to murder him. Later on in his life, he would also be running away from his very own son. There were lots of moments in his life he was on the run from other nations. Time and time again, he had seen this story that they were kind of in the pit, if you will. And that word there in the Hebrew is sheol. It's the grave. It's death. And yet, David also saw that every time, time and time again, God was faithful to restore his people. God was faithful to rescue them out of the pit. Even when the pit was their own doing, they brought themselves there by their idolatry, by their failing to trust in Yahweh and what he said. God, when they cried out to him, was faithful still to go and pursue them and draw them out of the pit. The way he saved Joseph, literally out of the pit his brothers put him into. The way he had saved David from the lions and bears that would attack when he was a shepherd. The way he had rescued David from King Saul. The way he had rescued King David and the nation of Israel from other nations attacking them. Time and time again, God would rescue them out of the pit. And this brought praise for David. The prosperity that he had with his pride before had crumbled. The pit had humbled him. And yet God, Yahweh, had exalted. And you guys, this whole psalm, we know on this side of the story, on this side of Jesus, we know what it's really pointing to, right? In the same way we were sharing our stories about how God had turned something sorrowful into joy, those were just little glimpses of what will happen one day, finally and fully when Jesus returns. In the same way what David was writing here was a foreshadow, a preview, a glimpse ahead into what would finally come. That the God who had all prosperity, sitting in the throne of heaven, in his kingdom, left that and came down into the pit on our behalf. He went into the grave, into Sheol, and suffered. But he was risen again. And as he was risen, he was given a name above all other names, the glory of heaven, and he deserves all praise. Now, here's the thing. If we follow in his footsteps, we too will follow and pass through the pit of Sheol. But we will come back out of it again. And the words of that psalm, that our mourning will be turned into dancing. Joy comes in the morning. We will be rescued out of the pit. Those will finally and fully be true for us if we had followed Jesus. And the same way we share in the pit with him and his suffering We will share in his glory and rejoicing in heaven eternally. At the banquet table, feasting with him. The God who called Israel to be a blessing to all nations. Jesus fulfilled that. The one true Israelite. And now all nations are welcome to follow him into eternal praise. That's what we celebrate every single week when we get together. And when we go to the table every week, we remember what it costs to get us there, right? So that's why we're we're turned and facing toward the communion table this week. We're remembering that Jesus went into the pit on our behalf, that he suffered the grave, shield, death for our sake so that we could be brought into eternal praise with him. And so we're going to go to the table. As we do a couple uh, just logistical notes, there's a larger plate here with your gluten-filled bread. There's a smaller cup there with your gluten-free bread. Uh, but come to the table and what we'll do is we will take the bread, we will dip it into the cup and go back to our seats and then we'll recite the confession of our faith together that Christ has died, listen to the movement of that psalm, right? Christ has died, Christ is risen. Christ will come again. From the pit to praise and even more praise, eternal. So we're going to do that in a moment, but also why we engage in this act of our communion together. I want us to reflect on the pit moments of our lives that Jesus has rescued us from and to reflect on the glimpses of praise that he's bringing us in this moment. And so I just, again, will invite you to grab those sheets of paper and write something down. And maybe for you, again, it's, you haven't seen God do this yet, but it's a prayer. Jesus, would you show up in this moment? Would you be present here with me? Because as David saw God being present with him, even in the pit, Jesus, who went to the pit on our behalf, is present with you here and now, no matter what it is you're going through as well. And So as as an act of offering, so to speak, and if you remember last week, we talked about that actual word, korban, in the Hebrew, or in the Greek, uh, for offering actually means to bring near, to draw near. As an act of drawing near to God, we're going to go and, and place those on this board here. Okay, if you want to wait until the end and like no one's looking and you want to do that, that's fine too. Uh if you want to fold that paper up and stick it in your pocket and remember it and take it with you, that's fine too. But we're we're having this invitation to do this as a community to see that God is at work in all of us. So that'll be a display for us, a visual. We're gonna go to the table now. We're gonna grab the elements, we'll go back. We'll recite those words. I invite you to come up to the board at any time you feel ready to. And then we're going to sing two more songs. Come as you're ready.